The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 5 The Hunter Released The goblins swept through the tunnels, finding and laying low the slaves who had risen up. The kobolds and beastmen were everywhere, but they were weak from lack of food, and most of them were not armed, so the goblins quickly took advantage in the skirmish. In the west corridor, however, one of the slaves was creating more of a problem than the rest. He was a lizard man who had been captured in the lower levels, and he was strong. Backed into a corner, he was taking on three goblins at once. The goblins wove in and out, slicing at him, and then dodging as the lizard man tried to smash them with his tail. Just as the lizard man succeeded at knocking the first goblin cold against the stone wall, he suddenly saw that goblin's big brother round the corner through the dark, carrying a vicious-looking spiked ball. This goblin was one of the chieftain's bodyguards, a hunter, the largest he'd ever seen. The hunter growled, his yellow eyes glowing in the dark. The other goblins cowered before him, retreating, and the lizard man, perhaps sensing that his fate was near, lunged at the hunter with teeth and claws flashing. The muscled goblin caught the lizard on his arm against his bracer, then followed through with a spiked ball. In one deft move, the giant cracked it down upon the lizard man's head, shattering his skull. Word spread quickly through the tunnels that the hunter had been released. A wave of despair washed over the slaves, and they were routed. With the fight in their favor, even cowardly goblins became brave, showing no mercy, and badly beating any they found unconscious before corralling them back to the pits. Back to work, shouted the taskmaster, cracking his whip. He looked on admiringly at the hunter, then said, Chieftain wants a word, sir. The hunter grunted his assent, making his way to the chieftain's throne room. As he entered, the hunter saw that one of the chieftain's bodyguards was dead and that the chieftain was cleaning his great spear angrily on the corpse's robe. The remaining bodyguard saluted as the hunter arrived. The elf girl, said the chieftain, was my most prized slave. She escaped with several others. They can't have gotten far. For that, you are the strongest and the best. Take what goblins you need for the hunt and scour the maze. I want her back. And the others? Asked the hunter. Kill them and bring their heads to me. I am your maze master, Abel Enzo, and I welcome you to this, Episode 5 of the Iron Realm. During our last episode, we introduced the enigmatic Character 8. Today we will move on to discuss backstory and personality descriptions for the new character. Meanwhile, our adventurers in the tunnel came upon a goblin hunting party 
who they were able to defeat using the element of surprise. The dwarf Stockholm was badly hurt in the melee, yet the characters escaped death in this, their first hostile encounter. More adventure to come today in Episode 5 of The Iron Realm. Character 8 So, you've got your Character 8 basics drawn up, and you're ready to play. But, are you ready for the role-play? In a solitaire game, such as Iron Realm, role-playing is accomplished by creating write-ups for your character. Today, we're going to focus on a write-up for your character's profile and description. The more detail you add, the more your character will come alive. A write-up can also be a written account of your character's adventures in the Iron Realm. Dovetail your story with the adventures revealed on the podcast in order to detail your accomplishments and your bond with the other characters. More on adventure write-ups in a future episode. Today, let's take your character sheet and use it as a starting point for developing a full profile and description of your character. In addition to your character's type, you have several statistics to draw upon when deciding who your character is. A character with a high strength score could be extremely well-muscled and have brute strength on his side. You might decide that the high strength score could represent something else, like a secret knowledge of pressure points that can be used in combat to the advantage. Likewise, a character with a low strength could be a bit of a weakling, or perhaps the character's strength score could represent something else, like a chronic illness, or even a lost limb. By considering each of the stats in this way, you can further develop your idea of who your character actually is. Other things to talk about in your profile. What is your character's relation to gender? What is your character's race? Human? Elf? Dwarf? Halfling? Perhaps your character has just a touch of another bloodline, like orc, angel, or demon. Also consider the age of your character. Your character's skin tone, eye color, and hair color. What does your character's hair look like? What is the style? Is your character bald? Does your character have a beard? What does that look like? Choose a height and weight for your character as well. Weave together a complete description of your character, of perhaps a paragraph or two. Why not include a section on your character's personality? What is your character like? What emotions does your character often display? What motivates your character? What is your character afraid of? What inspires your character? What is your character good at? How does your character relate to other people? Take some time to think about your character's personality. Write up a paragraph or two to shine light on this aspect of your character. Come up with a name for your character. You may decide that a nickname or a first name is sufficient, or you may give your character a first and last name. Choose a name that seems to fit your character's type and the concept that you have about your character. Or simply choose a name that appeals to you. A real-world name? 
a name from a book or a movie, or perhaps a name that you've just made up now. In addition to the name, if you wish, assign your character a title. Create a section on combat and to describe how your character functions in a fight. Is your character brave and bold? Is your character secretive? Is your character slow to engage or first to the front? What are your character's ethics in time of war? What is your character's past experience with combat? Does your character have a history with certain foes? Go ahead and create a section for your character's personal history. Where was your character before he or she joined with the tribe? Did your character come from the Goblin Slave Pits, or did Character Eight join the group later, perhaps in the Crystal Room or in one of the passages? Is your character a longtime friend of one of the others? In the Iron Realm, many characters do not remember where they originally came from or the details of their youth. Though, if your character has sufficient age, your character may already have. A significant history in the Iron Realm, many experiences, prior battles, contacts. Over time, some characters recover memories from other worlds, as if this is a place where they once dwelt. He or she may remember an alternate history from another world. Feel free to describe this in any detail you wish. If you feel that your character has recovered these memories, create a section to talk about your character's family. Does your character have any relatives in the Iron Realm? If so, where are they? Is your character on good terms or dark terms with his or her own family? And are they still alive? Take some time as well to explore your character's relation to the other characters in the tribe: Echo, Kalana, Len, Treyon, Stockholm, Solus, and Tamek. Which characters are you attracted to? Which characters repel you? Detail your history with any of these characters as you wish. Finally, describe your character's current situation. What are her or his immediate goals? What does your character hope for? What is your character's experience at this time? Feel free to add more to your profile or description if the muse calls to you. If you are artistically inclined, draw a picture of your character as well, or search the net for something appropriate and add it to your game materials. If you are especially pleased with your write-up. Please send a carefully edited copy to your maze master. I'd be pleased to see how your character is coming along. Before we leave the topic of the character profile, there's one more thing I'd like to mention for those of you playing the dice rolling version of the game. For each write-up you create of one page or greater, your character will receive luck points as a bonus on your character sheet next to intelligence. Add write-up bonus. Do the same next to wisdom. To determine the luck points that you receive, take three d6 and roll just once for each write-up that you have completed. You are free to add a bonus from intelligence or wisdom, your choice. 
If your roll is 16 or higher, you receive two luck points. If it is a 15 or lower, you receive one luck point. As time goes on, the story of your character shall be told. Here's to the adventure. As for our intrepid group, they had the misfortune of encountering a goblin scouting party. No doubt they had arrived to recapture their slaves. Although the group took them by surprise, Stockholm was badly hurt during the battle. Here, in the depths of the Iron Realm, the characters must now choose between retreat to a defensible location in order to give the dwarf time to heal, or they might instead decide to press on in search of water. What would you do? Tribal Matters As we open our story for today, we begin at 2 o'clock p.m. upon the first day of Primaris. The characters are located on Maze Level 1. Having just defeated the goblins, they are in the Moss Lichen Room, which is located at 32 across, 29 down, 36 across, 33 down. The room is 5 by 5. Stockholm has been reduced to 4 life points. The characters are sufficiently rested. They have eaten today, but they have not yet had water. The characters have no spells available at this time. And with no light, the blindness penalty is in effect. The group has altered their standard marching order to protect the dwarf. In the front, Solus and Len. Right behind them, Stockholm. Behind him, Echo and Kailana. Bringing up the back, Treya and Temek. The group considers their options carefully before leaving the moss room. Len instinctively tends the dwarf's wounds, using a patch of moss to staunch the bleeding. Considering this to be helpful medicinally, Len encourages Kailana, Echo, and Temek to take a handful of the moss for later. She takes a handful herself as well. Each character only has the capacity to hold two items one in each hand. Following the battle with the goblins, Len suddenly realizes that using the sharp stone against them is frowned upon by her god. Tonight, I must pray, she says, vowing never to use a sharp weapon again. From this point forward, Len will not use the sharp side of her stone, instead using the rounded bludgeoning side. As a result, the damage she does per hit will be reduced to 1 to 2 damage. We can return to the crystal room, says Solus. It has a door that we can close. It is the most defensible location in the maze that we know of. No, said Stockholm. Although it would be possible for us to hold off our attackers for a long time, we would likely all die of thirst before my wounds are healed. So what do we do? asks Tamek. There's only one thing we can do says Stockholm. We must continue exploring the maze until we can find water. Many times in the realm I have encountered damp locations, or even underground streams, 
We must locate one of these if we are to survive. Reluctantly, the group comes to agree with Stockholm. It is their best and only choice. So with the hope of finding water and with the disquieting knowledge that the goblins are after them, the group returns to the darkness of the tunnels. They reach the square 33 across, 16 down. It is time for a roaming creatures check. There are no roaming creatures. The characters travel five more squares to the east, which puts them in the center of a crossroads. This is the square 3816. The characters move to the east, and past the crossroads they find a door. As the characters stand on 3916, the door is to their immediate east. Stockholm notifies the group what he sees ahead as they approach the door. Echo is called to the front. She and Stockholm check the door for traps together. They find no traps. Echo presses her ear to the door, listening for any sound. Stockholm goes with her and attempts to listen as well. Stockholm looks to Echo, and she shakes her head. They fall back into their marching order, and with Len at his side, Solus opens the door. The characters enter the room carefully. They find a long room, which is entirely covered, walls, ceiling, and floor, with a soft, edible moss. The room is 30 feet east to west. The room is 60 feet north to south. Two corners of the room are located as follows. 40 across, 14 down, 42 across, 19 down. Not displeased with their find, but still searching for water, the characters depart the room. Leaving the room to the west, they return to the crossway, this time taking the southern path. As they do so, they next encounter a T with the base pointed to the west. They continue traveling south and next encounter a crossroads. The roaming creatures check has come up a one. There are creatures on the prowl. The roaming creatures will be coming from the east. Are the characters surprised? No. Are the monsters going to be surprised? Yes. Off to the east, the group can hear yelping and barking sounds. Kobolds, says Stockholm. Coming this way. The group knows that kobolds tend to travel in packs. There's no telling how many there are. Likewise, kobolds are very unpredictable. Realizing the disadvantage the characters had against a mere three goblins, the thought of running into more creatures that could be hostile is a sobering thought indeed. With foreknowledge that the kobolds are coming, the characters beat a hasty retreat to the south, hoping that they will go unheard. To the south of the crossroads, there is a U-turn, which bends to the east. After the U-turn, the characters travel one more square to the north. They are now on the square 3923, and from this square, they will be heading east. Here is what they find there. They enter a T with the base pointed to the south. Listening carefully, the characters realize that the kobolds are tailing them. To the south of the T, there is an L which bends to the east. And here, says Stockholm, here we make our stand. With Solus and Len in the front and Stockholm right behind. The characters settle into the L-shaped corridor, waiting to ambush the kobolds as they enter the T. They are carefully positioned around the corner, where they will not easily be seen. Let's take a look. Kobolds. Nine kobolds. Now, says Stockholm, and they strike. 
The kobolds are taken completely by surprise. These kobolds have an armor value of seven. The first kobold is armed with a dagger. The second kobold is armed with a club. Solus attacks them, but misses him in the dark, even with Stockholm's instruction. Len attacks the one with the dagger, and misses that kobold as well. Thinking quick, Stockholm shouts, They've fallen for our trap, in the kobold language, and then chucks his rock at the kobold with the club, and hits. The kobold takes three damage, and seems dazed by the attack. The surprise round is over. The characters brace themselves for round one. Initiative. Three. The kobolds. Initiative. Three. They will be acting simultaneously. The kobolds might be fooled by Stockholm, for he tried to mislead them. I will give Stockholm a roll versus charisma. He has failed. The kobolds are not fooled. The kobold with the club only needs a six to strike Solus. And strikes. The kobold deals a point of damage to Solus. The kobold with the dagger only needs a six to strike Len, for she is blind in the dark. And strikes. Len takes a point of damage as the kobold slashes. Trying to protect Solus, Len makes an attack against the kobold with the club. Nat 20 for Len. The kobold is instantly slain. Repaying the favor, Solus makes a strike against Len's kobold and slays that kobold as well. Stockholm takes his dagger and throws it at a kobold who is coming up from behind and hits him with a 15. A third kobold is slain by the rampaging dwarf. As the vanguard of the group battles with the kobolds, Treya and Tamek decide to explore the corridors further in hopes of getting behind the dogman. They exit the L to the east, and move one square to the east, one square to the north, and one square to the west. The corridor has spiraled into a dead end. Realizing they can go no farther, they rejoin the group. Round two, initiative. The group rolls one. The kobolds roll five. Because the kobolds have lost one of their number, they must make a check or flee. The kobolds have rolled a three. They decide to fight on. This is unusual for kobolds, who have a bravery score of only six. But the dogmen are determined to avenge their fallen comrades. However, I'm going to assign the kobolds an additional minus one to hit, since they must literally fight over the bodies of their fallen in order to reach the characters. Two kobolds step forward through the ranks. The first is armed with a mace. The second is armed with a club. The one with the mace attempts to strike Len and hits. The mace comes down and strikes her in the shoulder. She takes a life point of damage. Solus is also vulnerable in the dark. The kobold with the club needs a six to hit and succeeds. The club deals two life points to Solus. Solus attempts to stab the kobold with the club but the kobold is too quick. Len attempts to strike the kobold with the mace. She strikes. She cracks it in the head with her rock for two life points. Seeing what has happened, Stockholm calls for a rock and is given one by Kailana. He gets a plus one to hit because of the short range. But his rock flies wide. Round three commences. The characters are backed into a corner, fighting for their lives. There are six kobolds remaining. Meanwhile, Solus has five life points out of eight. Stockholm has four life points out of ten. 
and Len has four life points out of six. Initiative. The characters get a three. The kobolds get a four. The kobold with the club needs a seven to strike Solus. And succeeds. <clears throat> Solus suffers a life point of damage. The kobold with the mace attempts to strike Len, also needed a seven, and strikes her. She <laughs> takes a life point of damage as well. Len strikes at her kobold and fells him. Solus stabs at his kobold, needing a 12, but is unable to hit. Trying to support Solus, Stockholm takes a stone from Echo and connects. Solus's kobold is felled. Moving into round four, there are four kobolds remaining. Initiative. Characters, four. Kobolds, two. Solus needs a 13 to strike the next kobold. He is taking a minus one penalty for fighting over the bodies of the fallen. He strikes, and the next kobold is slain. Len moves forward against the kobold at his side, but is unable to do more. Meanwhile, Treya has passed her dagger to the front, and Stockholm takes careful aim. Nat 20. Yet another kobold is slain. The two kobolds remaining fail their check and make a run for it. Unable to effectively pursue in the dark, the characters allow them to escape. The group has had the good fortune of surviving the combat, and as the last two kobolds flee, the characters take stock of one another, realizing that they have all survived, and seeing also that they have acquired some items of interest. Treasure Room The kobolds are worth 5 level points each, which is 45 for the encounter. From the fallen kobolds, the group has also acquired a dagger, two clubs, a light crossbow with 30 quarrels, a mace, a short sword, and a warhammer. Looks like the characters are now fully armed. Amongst all the kobolds, they are carrying 140 copper coins. The characters also secure seven belt pouches. These can be worn on a belt around the waist. For now, Stockholm will take charge of the 140 copper coins, and the weapons will be distributed as follows. The mace will go to Len. The short sword will go to Temek. He will drop his moss and keep his stone. Echo will drop her moss and take a dagger. Treya will drop her stone and dagger in favor of the light crossbow. She wears the quiver on her back with the strap over her right shoulder. The dagger that Treya discarded is given to Kailana. The warhammer goes to Stockholm and he drops his stone. Solus drops his stone and takes a club. Solus is now armed with one dagger and one club. The characters are now much better equipped than before for whatever may come next in the Iron Realm. You have been listening to the Iron Realm. If you would care to express your appreciation for the show in the form of an email message, write to the Iron Realm Podcast at gmail.com. If you are a skilled illustrator and would like to donate some of your work, both Iron Realm characters and illustrated scenes from the show, for a possible future Iron Realm written guide, submissions are gladly accepted. Please consider submitting your original artwork as a donation to the Iron Realm cause. 
Finally, support the show by sharing with friends and family so that the legend of the Iron Realm can live on. Thank you all for your support. The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. A portion of tonight's female voice performance was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm! Good night, everyone.